1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our sponsors for uh, the second hour of today's show, making this uh, show economically viable. They are Eurostar Gold Corp and Liberty Silver Corp. Well I'm really uh, happy to have with me Hank Thomas he is a retired naval officer and author of a new book A Broken Sausage Grinder uh, Is Our Government Fundamentally Flawed he he asks uh, now retired, Mr. Thomas uh, is a former government contractor, small business owner, and city councilman uh, from a, a city in Washington uh, that I can't pronounce, so I'll ask him in a minute how to pronounce the name of that town. He earned his bachelor's degree in chemical engineering from Purdue uh, University. Uh, and a master's degree uh, in systems management from the University of Denver, and he formerly worked as an employee at the Boeing, at the Boeing Company. Welcome, uh, Mr. Thomas, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
3: Well, thank you for having me on, Jay. I appreciate the opportunity.
2: Well, I'm really glad to have you on. Uh, one of the exciting things about my job is that I get to meet a lot of interesting people who have put a lot of hard work into writing books. Writing a book is not an easy task. Uh, it requires a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of effort it's something that I've been thinking of doing, but only thinking because I can't find the energy to do it. A broken sausage grinder, and I started uh, reading it and preparing for this discussion and i was uh, It was really uh, very interesting because it it's provided me with a, a refresher of my American history, going back to you know what our nation is all about, why was it founded why uh, you know why did people come here to start with and uh, and I think this is something that it doesn't get mentioned very often anymore you know what are the origins of our nation and so i think to start with uh that is that is worthwhile buying this book in itself and i might mention to our listeners that at the end of the book uh there you know there are several of the most basic documents that uh the declaration of independence our constitution the articles of confederation are all back there but a delightful discovery and a history um an easy to read history i mean much easier to read than than those history books that we were forced to read in high school and college and so forth. So it's really good to have you uh, with me. And I I want to, first of all, I apologize for not um, being ready to pronounce the name of the city that you, uh, where you uh, served as a city council member.
3: The city is
2: Issaquah. Issaquah, that's not so hard to say.
3: Well, but it's not quite obvious
2: as you look at the spelling. So, <laughs> yeah, No, it's not. And where is Issaquah in Washington relative to, say, um spokane or seattle
3: well we're about uh, 13 miles or so east of seattle we're one of the uh, seattle bedroom communities
2: oh well i love that part of the country i get to vancouver very frequently uh, on business and sometimes uh... have been to seattle and i think it's a delightful It rains a little too much perhaps for my liking but generally you don't have to put up with all that terrible snow in the winter do you well, that's, that's right. And,
3: but at the moment, we're, uh, we're experiencing record dry, uh, period of, of weather. Oh, so. Um, we're not expecting rain until about the end of the week. And I think that's going to be close to 80 days
2: without, uh, a great deal of precipitation. That must be some sort of a record for you guys up there then. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, you, you raise, you know raised the uh, the issue, I think one of the things that 's on a lot of people 's minds these days those of us have been around for a few decades anyway. we can remember when times were much more tranquil in America, when people really uh sort of got along they didn't always agree, but they they more or less felt good about the country they lived in about America. Uh, you were concerned uh, about the issue this dissension uh, sort of um, uh, cantankerous attitude that's out there now uh, Talk to us about that concern, and how did it lead to you writing this book?
3: Well, this began about, I would say, roughly uh, two years ago. Um, As the rhetoric was ramping up uh, shortly after the 2010 elections, I was just beside myself with frustration, and I started wondering, was there something about the design of our government that might be leading us to all of this uh, partisanship and dysfunction and so that was the that was kind of the initial question and i i naively thought i would sit down and and go on the internet and find a few uh... resources And the next thing you know i'd have an answer to my question but <laughs> well, it, it didn't turn out that way um, I started keeping a lot of notes, and then I had to figure out how to organize the notes, and one thing led to another, and at some point I said to my wife, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think I'm writing a book here. <laughs> and uh, that's really how the, the book came to be, and I wanted to put together a, a sort of a chronology of the things that caused us to want to be a nation on the world stage, and then why did the Articles of Confederation not work? And so that led to the Constitution, and what were we trying to accomplish with the Constitution that uh, uh, would overcome the shortfalls of the Articles of Confederation and so forth? And so I put all of that together, and what I think I've developed is is a kind of a conversational tool. I think a lot of times people are, uh they hear something and they think, ooh, that doesn't sound quite right, uh, but they're reluctant to enter into the conversation because they're not sure of their facts. Mm-hmm. And so the book is designed to uh, allow people to stay current on how things are supposed to work, and then when you hear somebody saying something that, that isn't right, you're able to engage in the conversation. And I think that's where our democracy is really going
2: to get fixed. Mm-hmm. So we need to go back to the to the roots. Is that it? Back to an understanding of what our government uh, was meant to be to start with.
3: Absolutely. You know, you mentioned the word tranquility here just a moment ago. Yeah. Uh,
2: just yesterday, we
3: put up our latest blog post, uh, and it's titled "Ensure Domestic Tranquility." Huh. Uh One of the one of the key uh, things that in the preamble of our Constitution, our government is supposed to be performing, and and. I would argue that we started losing our tranquility back in the mid nineteen nineties, um, back in the days when uh, Representative Gingrich and President Clinton were having a battle and, and actually shut the government down.
2: And yeah, from- I think it's uh, the phrase is to ensure our domestic tranquility, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a cantankerous uh, period of time. That was a that was um, yes, as I recall, and, and it really did seem to be a time when um when win at all costs became sort of the uh the mantra of both parties.
3: Yes, I I consider that kind of a threshold time when the whole kind of spirit or the aggressiveness of the dialogue shifted.
2: Yeah, we used to have before that uh, you had Tip O'Neill on the left side of the political spectrum and, and Ronald Reagan on the right getting along. Um you know, they they would like each other and now it seems to be almost a uh, uh, a hatred for each other on the basis of I don't know what. It's uh It's sort of mysterious in a way to me, I think. Yeah, Um,
3: and it's a a very difficult thing when the two sides send enough ideologues to Congress and to the Senate uh, so that we cannot achieve any compromise, because compromise is fundamental to our Republican democracy.
2: It is, but certainly, um, well. And I guess you go back and, and to the beginnings of our history, and it certainly uh, you write a lot in your book about um, uh, about the differences between Hamilton and Jefferson uh, in the early days of our republic. Um, but uh, at the same time, um, there are certain principles that people believe in that are difficult for them to give up. Though, I mean, I'm thinking as you know, speaking for myself, as a person who is a a uh, free market libertarian at heart mm-hmm. i believe that uh, that our founders were largely free market libertarians that believed in limited government and that's that's difficult now i mean i get along with people and we have dinner and we have great spirited discussions uh but i have friends on the left who are diametrically opposed to my to my views um, and and so there are some things that are a little bit difficult uh to compromise on are they not
3: well, they are difficult to compromise on in the sense of each individual participant, mm-hmm. but um, the way we find the, the way our country is supposed to be dealing with a particular issue is to bring together all of our represent, our elected representatives and have them debate the matter, mm-hmm. and out of that debate will come... A sense of where the majority coalition can be found Mm -hmm. Uh, so perhaps it's fair to sometimes I suppose somebody does get everything they want but most times that's not the case Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. most times everybody will get maybe a little bit of their uh, philosophical position in whatever the final measure looks like uh, but nobody gets everything and it yeah. is the majority that we're searching for. Yeah. Um, what we have now are people who are using the rules of the Senate and the rules of the House to keep their position solid and, and unwavering un- un- uh, as anything is moving through their particular
2: legislative body. Uh, I have to ask you the question, why the title a Broken Sausage Grinder?
3: You know, I don't remember where it was when in my life I heard somebody equate our government to a sausage grinder. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing because, I, for me, it made a perfect title for the book uh, because sausage is, after all, a blending of... Uh, solid ingredients and from a variety of different uh, places into something that has a mixture of of things but a uniform flavor. Yeah. Um, And and so I thought it's a great metaphor for our governmental system. It turns out, I'm finding out, a lot of people had just never thought of it that way.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, sausage, they say that you don't want to know what goes into it, uh, but I sure do like it. You know, so I guess, I guess you have all kinds of different ideas and, and need to be blended together. As you're talking about this notion of no one gets everything they want, I was thinking about, yes, you can break that down in, even into a family or into a marriage. Well, sure, it never, it never can, a civil, civil order requires some, some, uh, willingness to give in and to recognize and, and maybe recognize that other people, even though you don't see it that way, they may not be wrong. They may be right and you're wrong. But it's that lack of, um of humility I guess maybe that's inflicting us part of it that um, people just aren't willing to acknowledge that other people are does it have to do with feeling that other people are worthwhile
3: oh I think there's a lot of that in the uh, in what's going on with the government and there's a kind of a win-lose sort of mentality either I win or I lose uh, of course I don't want to lose so that means I want somebody else to lose mm-hmm. and um, and when and we we start becoming ideological in that argument, it it gets to be very difficult to to pursue democracy of any form.
2: I need to ask you also, because you mentioned it, and I wasn't aware of it, your blog post. Tell our listeners where that is so they can follow your work or your ideas.
3: You find it at hankthomas, all one word, dot author express, all one word, but, uh, or I should say Authors Express, A-U-T-H-O-R-S Express, X-P-R-E-S-S dot com.
2: And it's uh, Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, Hank Correct. Thomas. Correct. Um, all right, so what caused people to come to America to start with? Why did the settlers, I mean, we had religious concerns. What, what were some of the other concerns that, that brought people to America to start with?
3: Well, it was a very adventurous sort of time in in uh, the chronology of, of civilization. And a lot of uh, exploration going on. There was, of course, discovery of new lands and uh, new opportunities, and people were um, inclined to if they felt like things weren't working out in their current environment the way they wanted them to, they were inclined to move on. And and the really adventurous folks uh, went to other countries and, uh, you know, other lands and uh, pursued their life's ambition there. Uh, And such as it was, and there was a heavy religious uh, um, philosophy involved here because we're going through a period of time when, uh religious freedom in uh, primarily England but I suspect perhaps other countries as well wasn't quite as free as a lot of people wanted it to be and so they came to America thinking that if they started something fresh they could have their uh religious freedom that that they Felt they should have been able to have back in the old country.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, they certainly did risk their lives uh, traveling across the Atlantic Ocean in those days, and the uh, conditions—you um, know—in in the sixteen, seventeen hundreds was no picnic. Oh, for sure. People for died. Sure. People died in route, didn't they? I mean, it was—it a- was difficult.
3: Absolutely, and, and
2: lots of illnesses, and
3: um, you know, just really miserable conditions
2: and but they were willing to risk their lives for religious freedom i think that was largely it wasn't it were there and and we had the different colonies of course were had different religious groups so uh, the puritans were in massachusetts i think more the catholics in maryland is that right and the quakers yeah. in pennsylvania those are some of the groups
3: yeah each of the colonies was developed primarily as a trading uh, colony. Mm-hmm. And those uh, charters were um, awarded by the crown to uh, the people that were going to go run the, become be the governors of those colonies. Mm-hmm. And so each of them was populated by, uh, I suppose we might be able to say, people of convenience, people who wanted to come to America for sure, um, but not necessarily all coming for the same reasons. So, mm-hmm. One colony might be populated by a group of, of uh, Catholics, another by a group of Christians, and then there would be some Quakers. And mm-hmm. um, I suspect if we could get back into the records deeply enough, we could find, uh, certainly we could find atheists. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised we could find uh, components where we have a, a significant Jewish population and perhaps even some Muslims.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly was a country, and I mean, this is a religion today is still something that that divides people to a great extent. The Founding Fathers really wanted to, it it was not meant to be a a theocracy. It wasn't meant, America was never meant to be a a Christian nation per se, uh, at least not legally. It was a nation made up of a lot of Christians and Catholics and the other groups that you mentioned, but mostly I think Christians and Catholics, which I think both are Christians, but... Uh America was never meant to be, uh, my understanding is it was never meant to be a theocracy, right? It was meant to be, so the atheists could be free to be atheists, uh, the Muslims could be free to be Muslims, Jews, Christians, etc.
3: Abs- absolutely true. By the time, from, from the earliest uh, colonial times up until the time of the um, the Revolutionary War and then a, a few years, I think we only lasted about 11 years under the Articles of Confederation, and then we're writing the Constitution, and at that point we had 13 colonies that had sort of grown up into being 13 states, and each of them had had their own uh, ideas uh, about v- various parts of life, but religion foremost among them. And as the Constitution was coming together, it turns out that since none of those religions could have everything they wanted, the, what they could agree on was if there would be freedom of religion where there would be no encumbrances uh, about religion, then everybody could have what they wanted, but only uh, it would not be a theocracy sort of situation. They would just have their own communities, their own religious communities uh, where they lived.
2: Mm-hmm. So the, the settlers came here for those reasons, um, and of course, uh, the listener could do as much research as he or she wants uh, into the various reasons people came here. But there was uh, unhappiness after a while, and there was a revolution, uh, and we kicked the British out. Why? What, what were the what, what were the concerns? What was? I mean, we hear a lot about the Tea Party today and the Tea Party back then. Taxes, no taxation without representation. Was that the main reason that uh, that we were angered? The British were were not allowing us our autonomy, our, our sovereignty. Or what? What was the issue?
3: It, it was it was the autonomy issue. The we weren't a sovereign uh, nation at that point. We were 13 large colonies, mm-hmm. and we were they we were British colonies, and and the colonialists thought of themselves as British citizens. Um, But they came to see, as, as various taxes had been put in place and so forth, they came to see that they, while they thought of themselves as British citizens, they weren't being treated, they didn't think, the same way as British citizens who lived back in England, for example. And at one point it kind of looked like, well, the way the, the parliament was forming and so forth, it kind of looked like, well, maybe um, British interests in, in other parts of the empire were being given priority over uh, the North American colonies. Mm-hmm. And so they began to um, petition the the crown for relief, uh, and, and they wanted to have representation in the parliament. Uh, and of course, this didn't didn't land on sympathetic ears back in England. Uh, and I argue that the Declaration of Independence, which we tend to think of as kind of a defiant sort of document, uh-huh. uh, um, but I I would argue that that it was also a petition of last resort it, uh-huh. it listed all of the things that they felt the king had been doing to them which were inappropriate uh-huh. and asked one last time for the king to turn some of this around uh-huh. and and it didn't happen and so there there was the tripwire then and the the revolutionary war started
2: well it it certainly there was a philosophical divide there for sure uh, and in the Declaration of Independence, uh, a phrase that I my 5th uh, grade teacher, 6th grade, actually 8th uh, grade teacher, Charlie Smith, uh, required us to memorize that part of the the first uh, lines of the Declaration of Independence. But the second paragraph, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain un- unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is a, a very, very important uh, statement, I think, because... Was oh, this saying that there is a Creator bigger than the King of England that gives us the right to be free? Absolutely. Isn't that what they were saying?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think it's it's fascinating to me that um, uh, as, as we listen to many of the uh, the disagreements uh, about uh, religion in in the world today, um, and Islam, of course, is is one of the main uh, uh, religious followings that that people bring up. Um, But we're talking about uh, religious belief systems that involve a God and then a, um, uh, in the case of of Muslims, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, in the case of Christians, Jesus Christ. Um, But if we go back to that, that God, uh and i think it's interesting that in our constitutional documents we hear god but we don't hear uh jesus christ or uh the prophet muhammad we don't mm-hmm. hear any of the follow on uh religious
2: deities being called out mm mm-hmm. well certainly uh the monotheism which is what the you know the jewish the christian and the islamic religions have in common was that same Creator, that is uh, the person, the the entity that created or started the world, uh, the the universe in motion. I guess was the concept at that time, and of course, that's not even something that people agree on these days.
3: No, no, <laughs> we're we're in a time when when
2: agreement is probably less popular than disagreement. So I'm wondering if that might not be part of the uh, of the origin, part of the problem that we have today. Because well, you wouldn't expect atheists to believe that, um, but. Uh, but you know, if you, if you have a creator, somebody that's bigger than the King of England, or bigger than Obama, than Obama President Obama, or bigger than Hitler or Mussolini or, or, you know, uh, uh, Pol Pot or anybody else you ca- care to name, Winston Churchill, uh, you know, if you have a, a creator of the universe that's bigger than everybody, but if you don't, if you get rid of that creator, then you have to turn to Caesar, don't you?
3: Well, I don't know that anybody's arguing that we have to get rid of that creator.
2: Yeah. Uh Well, maybe not. I just think, in in uh, in some ways, in the minds of people, uh, the creator has been gotten rid of uh, in the minds of many people. Maybe, maybe I'm living on the east coast too long. And uh,
3: <laughs> no, no, I don't think I don't think this would be a thought that's peculiar to the east coast. I'm sure this uh, can be found everywhere, um, and not just here in America. Um, but as it goes to our government and our Republican democracy, um, it's important, I think, that we remember that our religious thoughts, uh, our, our philosophies that we live by on a day-to-day basis, so those are something that we hold within our religious community, uh, but they do not extend to our government. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think sometimes we we have trouble maintaining that separation.
2: Right. I think you're I think you're right about that. And and in fact, uh, but but there is an order to the world, according to the monotheistic uh, viewpoint. And and actually, uh, I think that if you take, for example, the Ten Commandments, uh, people are in general agreement, at least with most of those commandments, that uh, in terms of how people should. Should treat each other, even even um, even Muslims and and Christians would agree uh, on most of that. So why can't we just all get along? I guess is a big question.
3: No, yeah, that's a, that's a question that's been asked for for many 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 years. Look at all of the wars and uh, so forth that have been fought over the millennium uh, for religious reasons.
2: You know, um, we've only got one minute left, and I have so much more to talk to you about. I'm wondering if you could stay with us a few minutes after the commercial break. Absolutely. Um, And I want to get to one of the ideas that uh, Congressman Ron Paul has been on this show uh, a number of times, and I've known uh, Dr. Paul uh, even before he became so famous. But one of the things that he mentioned, and I'm going to bring this up and probably comment on the other side of the break, but uh I noted I told him about my son's uh, roommate who was somewhere left of Karl Marx uh, when Scotty and he first became roommates and then he became one of the biggest uh supporters of Ron Paul and I mentioned that to Ron and he said well I think that if you if you lessen government you know you people come together uh his his view is that if you tax one group hurt one group and help the others Regulate one group, help the others, that you cause a certain amount of dissension. And and thinking back in terms and looking at the sort of limited government concept that our founding fathers had, you know, I'm wondering if if you would have any thoughts along those lines. We do have to go to break, and when we come back, maybe you can comment on on your thoughts along those lines because our our founding fathers at least at that time, believed that we should have a limited government, right? Government was supposed to be here to provide certain or protect certain rights that were given to us, granted to us by our Creator. Uh, It wasn't that government was supposed to give us money and make us wealthy, I think. But we do have to go to break, and when we come back, maybe we can pick up on that thought.
3: Okay, I'll look forward to it.
2: Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back uh, with Hank Thomas uh, for more on a broken sausage grinder. What's wrong with America, and how can we make it better? Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
4: Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals.
0: Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused, Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW
5: Or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001.
0: Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business.
2: To turning hard times the good times, I'm really pleased to have Hank Thomas join me uh, for another few minutes here. Um, and Hank, when we want to break, uh, I started talking a little bit about this issue of, of um, Americans against each other. And, and Dr. Paul, Congressman Paul, has talked about how he believes that when government taxes one group and gives that money to another group, or regulates one group and gives it and to the benefit of at the cost of one group to the benefit of another group, that that that's sort of causes some dissension among the people. I mean, especially if the people haven't agreed to it, if it's something they feel they haven't had a voice in, uh, in um, you know, in that legislation. And I think more and more, uh, let me know what you think, but it seems to me more and more Americans feel that they've been disenfranchised, that they don't have a voice in the legislative process, especially at the national level. Would you agree with that?
3: Yeah, I certainly think there are a lot of people with those kind of feelings out there. Um, As it goes to uh, what's sometimes called the redistribution of wealth and or taxing one group to give to another group and so forth, um, all of those um, programs, let me just say programs, Mm -hmm. all of them – uh begin with actually something that's in the preamble and then mentioned again later in the in the constitution uh text um, the general welfare mhm and i would i think it would be wonderful if our legislative branch would have a debate about just what does general welfare mean mhm Mm-hmm. Um, because i think it, i think within that meaning uh people put different things and then depending on which group happens to have the majority power at the moment they they uh, institute programs and start things happening that uh, perhaps later uh, don't look like such a good idea or you know can't be uh, dialed back or amended as easily as they should be
2: mhm yeah, when programs are put into effect, they're, they're seldom, uh, taken out. Uh, new, new bureaucracies are formed and they're never gotten rid of, it seems. But you mentioned the general welfare. Maybe the key word there is general because, uh, the people in power tend to reward their friends, uh, and not necessarily for the general good. Is that
3: Absolutely right? Absolutely true. And that really is when we get down to that sausage grinder again. I don't, find any design flaws, things that the founders may have overlooked, but what I do find are numerous examples of how the elected officials along the way have misused the power that they have under our uh, constitutional form of government.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, and, I, and I think this probably gets to um, the human, human nature, uh, people wanting to remain in power, people wanting to uh, rather than looking at their uh, at their job as being serving the people perhaps looking at the perks they get or, or whatever power they can uh, accumulate because it seems to me a philosophy of our government initially was uh was that the government was here to serve us and not the other way around of course president kennedy made that famous speech not ask not what you can do for your country or not ask what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country is that um Part of what's going on here, people now have sort of th- thought that, um, uh, is that. I mean, what's gone wrong? Why are we? Why are we so? Why Why are people not? Why are elected officials not more patriotic or more taking their job serious in terms of serving um, their electorate?
3: I, I think at some point, the people became. Uh, frustrated that they weren't getting from their government what they thought was the right thing uh, to do. And so they sort of turned their back. They mm-hmm. gave up on it. They said, they're not listening to me, um, so I'm not even going to fool around with it. I'm not going to vote, or I'm not going to pay any attention when it's time to vote. I'll just put an X in a box and call it good enough. Um, and I think we became t- sort of casual in the way we take our... Uh, government responsibilities and as a result of that the people who got elected went and did what I'm sure they must have thought was the right thing to do at the time um, but there was nobody there was nobody checking up on them yeah and so one thing just led to another and we've sort of evolved into this situation that we have today where frankly we the people do seem to be getting ignored
2: yeah, but I'm wondering if, you know, I think it was Thomas Jefferson that said uh, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance or something like that. So oh, the absolutely citizens, right. So the citizens need to be aware of what they're, and need to care about what their uh, elected officials are doing and then hold them responsible for it. You know, the, the the
3: preamble to the Constitution, to me, really says it all when it begins with, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. Ensure domestic tranquility, and on and on it goes. Yes, it, we are the founding, the, the the most fundamental part of our nation: the people, the citizens. Mm-hmm.
2: With, oh. Without us, there should be nothing. So, uh, so what? Uh, what I hear you saying then is that people uh, have sort of given up, or haven't really. Been vigilant in, uh, in in paying attention to what their policymakers are doing, what their elected officials are doing, and so then does that create a vacuum for some other uh, people to enter into and influence uh, elections? I think you talk in your book about uh, you know about special interests, about different groups, packs and, and large corporate interests, and so forth. I mean, we've had on this show, uh, I've had Russ Baker, Family of Secrets, a book he's written. Uh, that goes to the, uh, sort of talks about a lot of the, the powerful people behind the scenes. Uh, it doesn't seem as though the American people uh, are really getting that much of a say. I, I can, uh, for example, if I were to talk to my congressman here in Queens, well, I wouldn't get a response from him. I, I can uh, you know, get more of a response from Congressman Paul, who I've known for many years, but uh but so it's a two way street. I mean, the politicians are doing what they feel they need to do to stay in power, and the people are just sort of, what are they doing? Watching television and watching baseball or whatever. Nothing wrong with that, but they don't really have the sense of urgency that this is important. They're detached.
3: I, I, they certainly are, and I'm sure that we could find many many reasons for why they are. To um, my way of thinking, the um, the whole matter could be. Uh, maybe not rectified, but we can certainly improve the situation a great deal, with a simple uh, restriction that says that that campaign donations must come from the constituency. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if if, um, whatever congressional district you're a part of, if somebody wants to run for elected to be the the representative from that congressional district, uh, that's fine. And they have to get all of their campaign donations from within the jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Well, if that happened, then all of a sudden, first of all, we'd probably find that campaigns were a lot less expensive. (laughs) Um, But secondly, suddenly they would have to be paying attention to the constituents. Mm -hmm. Uh, They wouldn't be able to get money from the corporation because the corporation isn't a constituent. Recognized well, as a person for sure, but not a constituent in the sense of being a citizen of these United States.
2: So you're not arguing with the recent Supreme Court uh, decision that said corporations are persons, but that those corporations within a uh, a district would be the ones that could provide funding and not... I wouldn't,
3: uh, I, personally, I don't think corporations have any business providing funding mm-hmm. uh, to, to any uh, uh, election effort because they're not citizens of the United States the government of our United States in my opinion belongs to
2: we the people we the people that
3: means the citizens
2: do you think that uh which of our founding fathers do you believe might uh do you think all of them would have been opposed to the view of uh, of the supreme court oh i think so yes yeah including yeah, hamilton
3: absolutely i i think yeah. they would be appalled at that decision
2: yeah interesting well, um, so what about this notion of limited government? I mean, our founding, you mentioned earlier in our discussion uh, last hour or last, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes or so ago about um, about our nation being on the, on the international scene or on the global, the world scene, I think. And we weren't, to begin with, as I understand, Washington warned against becoming involved or entangled in the politics of Europe. Wasn't the, the the notion of our founding fathers to keep us a republic and sort of uh, not necessarily isolated in terms of trade, but uh, not involved in foreign wars and so forth?
3: Uh, yes, I think that certainly probably was the case and was probably true throughout the period of time that we operated under the Articles of Confederation. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think of the Articles of Confederation as being essentially a, a treaty Amongst 13 sovereign states. Mm -hmm. Um, And under that treaty, the only thing that the central government could do was whatever they determined, they used the phrase, in Congress assembled. Um, There was one body of Congress, and whenever they were in session, whatever they did uh, through committees and, and the body as a whole, those were the things that constituted government of those 13 sovereign states. It wasn't going to work out very well because they couldn't figure out how to pay their war debt, primarily uh, that was left over from the Revolutionary War. Right. Imagine a war debt of fifty-four million (laughs) dollars.
2: Well, that was when money, when a dollar was really a dollar. When it cost two dollars,
3: certainly a dollar.
2: uh, You know, you could buy a horse for a dollar or two in those days, I guess. Yeah. you know, Hank, we're almost out of town. This is very time. I said out of town, out of time. I'm out of everything the way it looks. Um, there's so many more things I wanted to ask you about. What were the the basic uh, duties of government as our founders saw it? Defend the borders for sure and our sovereignty, right? Absolutely. Uh, what about property rights?
3: don't initially the the property rights question didn't come in because under the 13 or under the articles of confederation the 13 states all controlled their own sovereign areas mhm so the states were determining all of that.
2: Okay, so the states would determine property rights. And, of course, today we still have many issues that have to do with states' rights versus federal rights. Immigration is one you mentioned in your book. Yeah. Uh, there are other issues. I think Utah has has recently passed a law that allows gold to be used as a transaction, as a monetary instrument. Um, so, I mean, there's there's so much more to talk about. What I want to tell our listeners, though, is a broken sausage grinder, Hank Thomas, is a book that you need to buy, you need to read, uh if you care at all about our country if you really want to refresh your memory about our history why our country was fo- founded uh know, what it's what the values were and i think it's just a delightful book hank i really i think it it you know i had i'm just was really pleasantly surprised when i finally started reading through it um and and tell our listeners where they can learn more about you again your how they can sign where they can buy the book and where they can follow your work
3: Sure and and first of all let me say thank you very much that was a very kind uh compliment you just you just gave my book I really appreciate that The book is available my publisher is iuniverse and it's available on their w- website iuniverse.com uh, it's also available at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com um, pretty much any bookstore can if you walk in and with the title and, and my name, you can order the book. It probably won't be on the shelves. It's too new yet. Um, so I would like to think one day that it will have a reason to be there, but uh, but we're not there yet.
2: Well, I think it definitely has a reason to be there, and I think we want to have you back sometime again. I want to go through the book and read it more, get through more of it myself, uh, just as a refresher. Uh, it really is definitely worth uh, you know, you have right here, you have the Articles of, of Confederation, you've got the Declaration of Independence, uh, and the Constitution all in the back, and lots of other valuable information, and just really good information. For example, refreshing my memory about the disputes between Hamilton and Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Really, really important stuff, and more importantly, I guess, is, you know, how can we, uh, how can we improve the dialogue that we Americans have with one another right now, Hank, and I think that's uh, a noble, a noble goal of yours in this book and i want to thank you very much for spending time with us i hope we can have you back again sometime soon
3: well, i'd certainly be happy to come back anytime and I, I want to thank you again for for having me on the show
2: today uh, very good thank you uh... folks i'll be right back with some closing thoughts on today's show and uh, thanks again hank thomas i'll be right back don't go away
0: America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
4: Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure. A low cash burn rate and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals.
0: Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused, Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW.
5: or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001.
0: Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business.
2: hard times and the good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I have uh, some closing thoughts about today's show and um, a word or two about next week's show as well. Uh, I thought it was really, really great to have Chen Lin back. He hasn't been with us uh, for several weeks. Chen um, has had a masterful track record. He's done extremely well in in picking stocks, and um, you know he's got some some very very interesting stories uh, always and um, pedicelia was certainly one he talked about that looks very interesting, Mart Resources still looks very very interesting, um, and uh, Sarepta, uh the pharmaceutical or the biotech company also just uh, some excellent stories and he's done very very well for his subscribers. You know one of the things that Chen and Brent Cook both have in common. Uh, is that they tell they first do their due diligence, study things really uh, hard, and they put their own money into it uh, or, or at least prepare to put their own money into it before they tell you about it and in chen 's uh, case he does put his money into it I think Brent Cook, his policy is to tell his subscribers first and then uh, and then get into a um, uh, into a stock, uh, but both of these gentlemen are are very honest, honorable people who um who tell you what they're doing and they both work very hard i honestly believe that uh it is very difficult you know it's one thing to pick stocks and to tell people what they should buy if you're not putting your own money into it it's quite a different story than if you are putting your own money into it because uh, well for obvious reasons and um so both of those gentlemen uh invest in what they and what they talk about and Brent Cook uh, also had some excellent ideas uh, pay attention to what he has to say. I'm expecting to have Brent on this show more often in the future, uh, just simply because I think he's going to provide some great uh, investment ideas to you, to the listeners of this show. And what I do want to do is talk more uh, in the future about investment ideas, where you can profit. You know, we can, uh, we can complain about the situation, about the world we live in, and we shouldn't put our heads in the sand. We should be aware of what's going on. Uh I think Hank Thomas, uh who talked to us today about a broken sausage grinder, uh, is 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 putting his finger on a lot of the problems and I do hope that you'll buy the book A Broken Sausage Grinder by Hank Thomas because I think uh it, it provides an excellent review of our history, of our early history of early American history, but it also provides um a sense of the spirit of our founding fathers. Uh, and what we can do to try to get along and try to, uh, to make this a little better world. Well, that's a macro view of things. We're going to be limited in what we can do individually to make this a better place to live, but we have to start with our own lives, our own family, and treat each other, uh, with civility and honesty and integrity, uh, and we, then we build out from the family to the local community to the local government and so forth and uh, to start with of course we have to be able to provide for our families and what we're trying to do on this show at least in part uh you know beyond the belly aching about the difficulties and the things that are wrong with our country try to find ways that we can build ourselves up and protect our own interests against what i think are going to be some extremely difficult days going forward in uh, in our country I don't uh, think that you can go uh, can live the way the United States and the Western world has lived without paying one heck of a price into the future. And so what we're looking at now is uh, a debt situation uh, that is very difficult to see how it can ever be repaid. And so there are two schools of thought and actually this goes to next week's show. I'm expecting to have the great deflation inflation debate on next week's show. Uh not sure exactly who I'm going to have on that show yet, uh but I, I'm quite convinced that that's what we're gonna talk about. We may have Alistair MacLeod uh, come on to talk about the inflation, the hyperinflation uh, remedy, so-called remedy to this problem. How do we get rid of the debt? Well, one of the thoughts is you just inflate it away. Well, that creates, uh, when you have large levels of inflation, it creates enormous unrest, uh, political unrest. That's hardly a, uh, a very viable solution. Well, what about the other one, then, is a, a deflationary depression and that also uh, brings with it huge amounts of, of trouble, though, of the two options, I honestly believe the w- the least worst is the deflationary depression. And Why do I say that? Well, I say that because the people who have lived uh, their lives responsibly, have saved money, will be okay, and they will be rewarded, while the people who... Uh, who went into debt and, and tried to use other people's money uh, to get rich uh, and lived irresponsibly, then are punished. But, of course, it's not that simple. Whenever you have major problems in society, civil disorder and so forth can, can unfold. Uh, and, you know, Hank Thomas talked about, we haven't been, we the people, haven't been responsible enough. Thomas Jefferson talked about the, the price of liberty being eternal vigilance, and if we as Americans are not holding our politicians' feet to the fire, then we are responsible, and at least in part responsible. And of course, uh, you know, in the Declaration of Independence, it says that when our governments abuse us, then it's then it's our duty, not only our right, but our duty to uh, to revolt and to change that government. So this is what i think um, you know ron paul's talked about the revolution uh ron certainly wants a peaceful revolution he's talking to the young people the young people making them aware of what needs to happen uh but in any event we we're, we're trying to um, to do what we can uh to survive and to thrive in this environment to take the negatives understanding what's going on in our uh in our economy and then use that uh to profit from it for our families and for those around us who are closest to us and who we love well that's all the time we do have this week i hope that you'll uh, come back next week and uh, we're going to talk about inflation deflation and some investment ideas as well uh, next week uh, well that's it i guess that's all the time we have want to thank my uh, producer tacy trump and justin jackman my engineer for making the show logistically possible our sponsors for making it economically viable and to each of you for listening until next week goodbye and god's blessings to you
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.